1: Hello and welcome to the Red Box Politics Podcast in the Times. I'm Matt Chorley. What happens when you get a hundred voters in one room and ask them about the election? That's exactly what the Times did for its project Election in One Room with a hundred voters from swing seats across the country. We asked about everything from what they think of politicians and the promises they're making and what they think they might do on polling day. All of that coming up. But this is our last Friday roundup.
0: We wouldn't want to if you had it. To us on a silver platter, we want nothing
2: to do. with I have previously said, and I'm happy to say again, was wrong. And I'm you... sorry about that. And it was one of the things that we did get wrong. Do you not take President Trump seriously? I,
3: uh, that's that's that's
4: complete nonsense. and uh, I don't I, know I where that's going from. Obviously, I'm very sorry for everything that's happened.
5: But I want to make this clear. I am dealing with it.
1: Happy Christmas election, Britain. We're nearly there, Esther. It's less I than a know. week to go now.
5: It's quite exciting, really, to <laughs> think that it ended. In time. Oh, we see. Yes, yeah. The, yeah.
1: the election campaign is not exciting. Yeah. The prospect of it all being over is. Yes. Now, before we get into the nitty-gritty, why do you think that is? Why is it that? Because it's become a bit of a cliche, and it's obviously a bit annoying for people to hear people like us, whose job it is to be interested and excited about politics, to be saying, "Oh, it's so boring." Another, you know, another election. It just hasn't really taken off, has it?
5: I think the problem is that of late we've had so many seismic events or supposedly seismic that have been intended to shift things one way or the other and they just haven't worked. This feels a little bit like another one of those. And obviously the Tories are hoping it won't be a repeat and it really will change things. But I think people in general have a bit of fatigue. Maybe for the first time or one of the first times, that's also filtering down to even mega geeks like (laughs)
1: us. (laughs) There's also maybe it's the sort of anti-climax fatigue. This time... Almost exactly this time a year ago, we were whipping ourselves into a frenzy about vote of no confidence in Theresa May, which meant that she, uh, she won that, but she pulled her deal, which meant we were sort of, from the beginning of this year, this never-ending supply of late-night yes. d- moments of drama that were going to finally change things. And actually, we're no different where we are right now than we were basically 12 months ago
5: exactly we're still we, we haven't really moved on nothing has changed oh, um,
1: that's what you need to put a pound, <laughs> pound in the swear jar for saying that um so okay then let's talk about this week because again the most remarkable thing about this week is that i'll put a pound in nothing has changed everyone got very excited a week ago and it looked like maybe the polls were narrowing but actually the sort of follow-up ones suggest that the narrowing might have stopped no change seems to be what the polls are saying we thought the big moment of the week was going to be Donald Trump arriving, and even he behaved himself, by and large.
5: It was as close to Donald Trump behaving as I think we're likely to get. <laughs> the thing was, it does show he can do it. I mean, he did also kind of leave early, or not, hold <laughs> one of the press conferences he was meant to and then ho- hold a much longer one that he wasn't meant to <laughs> <laughs> so he's still kind of conformed to type there but yeah he didn't throw the big spanner into the election works which i think is what the conservatives were really fearing and he managed to restrain himself and
1: what was interesting was that he can do it, suggesting that all the other times when he's a chaotic nightmare, he's doing it on purpose. It's not that he doesn't appreciate the sensitivities of... You know, the last time he came to the UK he gave interviews which were not at all helpful for Theresa May and this time he clearly wanted to help Boris Johnson by not doing anything and then some genius in Tory HQ came up with the idea of leaking a viral video of Boris Johnson being rude about Donald Trump and then he went home early, therefore not disrupting the election at all.
5: Yeah, given some of the stuff he said in the past about Boris Johnson and how much he likes him and also Nigel Farage, he didn't really go into any of that this time. In fact, the most colourful thing he said was this thing about not even wanting to go near the NHS. Even if
1: it was on a platter. (laughs)
5: Yeah, which I can sort of imagine somehow I picture people in Labour Party HQ going, What's wrong with our NHS? <laughs> Why don't you
1: want it? Why don't you want it on a platter? You, yeah. have, you, you have McDonald's burgers bought you on a platter. What's yeah. wrong with the NHS? And in fact, Jeremy Corbyn, ever the master strategist, briefed in advance his plan to ambush Donald Trump at Buckingham Palace.
5: Yeah, which we then hear didn't materialise. So he didn't actually tackle... He couldn't find
1: him. True.
5: <laughs> couldn't find him or was stage managed away from him by nervous palace people. But in his stead, because he had fallen down on the job, Twitter took it upon itself to somehow elevate Princess Anne into a hero (laughs) of the left, because supposedly she had snubbed a handshake with the Trumps Which, as our royal correspondent Valentine Lowe showed, was not actually the case. But I think that just goes to show how desperate some are to kind of paint the royal family as anti-establishment.
1: Yeah, I think it might be a bit of a struggle, that one. Finally, uh, let's talk about Joe Swinson, just because we're sort of obliged to. The highlight of the week was probably somebody dressed as a bee gluing themselves to a bus.
5: (laughs) That was kind of British elections campaigning as its best I think.
1: <laughs> not least because the bus <laughs> is electric. Yes. Unlike the Lib Dem campaign. Yeah,
5: and, you would, <laughs> and you would think maybe the people who are upset about the bees might have their sights set on different people to the Lib Dems. <laughs> um, They're even the same colour
1: for goodness yes. sake. Yes. Nigel Farage not only did his good friend Donald Trump not mention him, invite him for tea or anything. His Brexit party is down to 3-4% in the polls and it's all sort of falling apart.
5: He's lost some MEPs this week who are annoyed about the decision not to... Stand aside in Labour marginals where it can be very tight with the Tories, including Annette and Reese Mogg, Jacob Reese moggs sister. So it's all kind of falling apart part of it there as well.
1: Poor, poor Nigel. Maybe this means he can finally retire and not <laughs> trouble our
5: Seems TV somehow. screens
1: again. Only a week to go, Esther. Esther will be joining us next week at the Morning After live debate that we're doing at the News Building, the Times offices in London Bridge. If you want to come to that, we will try to make sense of what on earth has happened in the election and I will have rounded up whatever Times columnists are not too tired or too drunk to appear on stage. Uh, you can find tickets to that at mytimesplus.co.uk. for now, my thanks to Esther Webber. So to this week's episode then. How do we know what voters are thinking? How can you hear what they're saying amid the din of the election and opinion polls and whatever else is going on? How do you paint a political picture of what the nation believes, hopes, likes and loathes The answer to that question we found was we put them in a room and we talked to them and we listened to them. In one of the biggest election focus groups that's ever been attempted in the UK, the Times teamed up with Public First, which is a research company. They got 100 undecided voters from marginal constituencies across England and Wales, posed questions to them about what they think of politics and politicians. It was a mixed bag of mixed up by age, race, gender, how they'd voted in the past, how they might vote this time. And it was called The Election in One Room. Later in the episode, I'll speak to Oliver Wright, the policy editor of The Times, and columnist Ben McIntyre, who sat in on some of the sessions, But first, I speak to Emma Tucker, Deputy Editor of the Times. The whole thing was her idea, and I began by asking her how it came about.
6: Well, it was an idea inspired by the New York Times. The digital team took up the idea with gusto, managed to get 100 uh, swing voters from uh, marginal constituencies right across the country Got them all to come to Manchester on a Saturday and the idea was to put them all in a room and see what came out of it.
1: What did come out of it? What's your your overriding sense of where
6: the swing voters are? Well the really interesting thing, the the, the sort of initial impression I got was um, the extraordinarily high levels of consensus. So you put people in a room and by and large, the sort of combative politics that we perhaps hear about or experience on social media was not apparent at all. There was a lot of consensus that there is some Brexit needs to get sorted that there are big issues facing the country and it seemed like and and no great love for either of the political leaders of the two main political leaders. So at that level what was really interesting was I really felt if you could put the entire nation in a room we'd probably sort this out.
1: (laughs) And it's that thing of maybe actual human beings in a room together with the social norms and politenesses that you have that you don't get on social media and all of that that actually because social media is so combative and so you can just fire off anything and people do end up saying things online they wouldn't say in a room with other people. Yeah,
6: I absolutely loved it. People were so respectful of each other. They really listened to one another. They were interested in what each other had to say. Occasionally, there would be a disagreement, I don't know, I, I was reminded how polite British people are <laughs> overall. You know, it was it was a really, in that sense, it was very heartening because people, as I say, they were very respectful, they really listened to each other, and they were genuinely interested as well in looking for areas of consensus, possibly even coming up with solutions. So in that sense, it was a very heartening experience because it did show a very different side to British politics.
1: One of the things that you did was you say to them, what would each of the party leaders be if they were... Animals. Let's just take a listen to what they said.
2: A bear, so intentions are good but slightly clumsy.
0: Elephants, solid, bit of a plodder but will go in a straight line. Probably a leech after austerity but you could also refer to him as something like a bull due to stubbornness.
3: I find Boris a bit of a snake. Because he's a bit of a slimy character, you know, difficult to get a grip of, he's always got an answer for something.
6: Even though know, I call Boris a pig, I'd, I'd, I'd say that's insulting to pigs, I'd call him a snake. Boris Johnson, a koala bear, because a kind of, you, nobody, you can't not like a koala bear, um, they're kind of quite carefree, and just like kind of go about their day.
1: Were you surprised by any of the responses?
6: There was one slightly enthusiastic woman, comparing Boris Johnson to a koala bear because koala bears are (laughs) cuddly and sweet or something Uh, I wasn't that surprised I thought there was quite an impressive range on offer but uh, I think and and the word weasel came up rather a lot in conjunction with Jeremy Corbyn (laughs) I think my
1: favourite on Jeremy Corbyn was the he's like a panda that's fallen out of a tree and doesn't know what to do with himself or something Yeah, and
6: a mountain goat standing at the top of the mountain wondering where where everyone's gone
1: (laughs) You were in some sessions on Labour heartlands. Yes. Where are they? Do they? Are they still?
6: Well, heartlands? that's a really good question. And again, when it came to unanimity, we are. I sat in on three uh, Northern heartlands uh, seats, and when asked, "Is there such a thing as a Labour heartland?" it was unanimous. The answer: no. So that uh, that sort of old allegiance, those strong bonds. I think they were beginning to become unstuck, and now they're they're unraveling. There was a lot of talk of grandparents who'll be turning in their graves on uh, December the 12th, um, but people don't, you know, no longer feel that allegiance. It doesn't matter how much uh, the Labour Party go on trying to resurrect memories of the, you know, bitter memories of the Thatcher years. It's it's not resonating. People were voting according, mainly to Brexit, and then after that on, on individual policies.
1: Now we are in a mess, actually.
0: Uh, the people voted for uh, to leave. So I, I think it's it would be uh, democratic as well if we leave, but uh, we leave in, with a deal.
5: I would prefer us to stay, actually, uh, going back to better the devil you know than the one you don't know. I am so
2: conflicted because I'm, I'm a Remainer, um, that's what I voted and in an ideal world the whole thing would just go away and it would never have been an issue but obviously that can't happen. Um, I'm not sure about the second referendum thing, I think from the point of view of democracy I think we just need to get it done and so that we can move on and focus on more important day to day issues. Just get it done, everyone's voted, you yeah, you might not like the vote, but that's... Everyone's voted, you've just got to go on
3: with it and just to get it done as soon as possible because it's just been lingering for too long. We should just... If you need this without a deal, just walk away. The decision's been made. Whether we will regret it in future, who knows? But just let's get on with it and move away.
2: Um, at this point, it's, it's been going on for so long. I genuinely have stopped caring, if I'm honest, um, just because I feel like no matter what the outcome is, I'm still not sure what the direct impacts will be on myself. And of course, everyone's probably thinking of the impacts on themselves for a decision.
0: If we had another referendum, I don't think we we there would be able to get away with lying. Uh, for one party
2: anyway. I really don't think that people quite understood what they voted for at the time. So I think the fairest way to approach it would be to have another referendum and to take that vote, whether it be leave or remain, and absolutely run with it. I don't see the harm in just having more democracy, just having another referendum. I don't think it discredits the first vote, it's just now we've got some more information. What's the harm in just checking in and seeing where the country is at? Um,
6: Still leave, 100%. I think we need to leave even more so than I did before. I voted to leave and um, I think we need to get it done now and focus on um, moving on and getting the country into a nice sustainable position um, for the future generations.
1: And what about, because we talked on the podcast earlier this week about Vox Pops and the value of journalists going out and actually speaking to real people. Did you come away with an impression of the way that we cover politics, not the Times necessarily, but the media generally? Is that, are we serving voters well?
6: Well, that is a really good question. One thing I did think was, whatever you call it, perhaps cynicism is the word, Voters aren't fooled. Everybody knew that both sides were making all sorts of promises on spending. And the people we spoke to didn't believe any of them so i did come away thinking oh my goodness we've got this almost these two parallel worlds where you've got politics full of politicians making promises that we faithfully report and then the people out there reading it or watching on television not believing any of it and i did think wow that's a bit of a, a, a mismatch here and perhaps we need to bring them closer together
1: and i suppose there's a challenge for us as the messenger that we don't get end up being tarred with the disbelieving brush, if you like, yes. because we're reporting the stuff that people aren't believing. Yeah. Are we sort of complicit in this nonsense?
6: I, well, it's again, you know, it's a worrying question. But there did, there certainly, I got the sense that generally we are a bit tarred. By we, I mean the whole media, that we're all we're complicit in this this game almost and it was interesting as well there was a lot of talk about the government but when you really probe them by what they meant by the government they didn't really differentiate between Labour or Tory it was as if they were talking about a governing class that has become disassociated from them and their lives and really doesn't understand who they are and what they want so there was that and then linked to that there was a lot of talk about people taking matters into their own hands so where a library closed down a community coming together to um, set one up or people coming together to organise charitable work or food banks. I mean, there's a lot of talk about people organising themselves locally. And you do slightly feel like the the, the gulf between the national discussion and what's going on on the, uh, on the ground is getting dangerously wide.
1: And, and there's, there doesn't seem to be anyone who's tapping into that. There's no politician in any party. They're all just doing that thing of behaving like you think yeah. politicians should behave. Yes,
6: and again, but one of the messages that we kept hearing over and over, over again was be honest with us. Tell us the truth. We're grown up. Level with us. Treat us like grown-ups. I mean, maybe it was easy for them to say that, and maybe the political parties would say, "Well, it's all very well, but if we do level with the, the public and we're absolutely clear about the trade-offs, no one will vote for us." I don't know, but it did seem to me that there, the compromise needs to be made on both uh, on the side of politicians. That uh, were a politician to come out and be absolutely honest about what the, the, the trade-offs that face a better-funded NHS or whatever, and rather than just saying, "Well, we're going to borrow the money or tax." or whatever, would, could actually come out of it really well. I mean, it's a, it's a novel thought.
1: First and foremost, it's the NHS actually.
6: I think the mon- one of the most important things for me would be the NHS. I think, especially in light of what um, the deal that apparently is now on the table with America, I would, I would really fear for the youngsters in our, of our, in our country that um, the future of the NHS to be lost. I think it's
3: got to be the NHS. It's got to be the biggest factor of it, closely about the economy. I think at this moment in time, it's the NHS.
6: The NHS. You know, I think anything
2: to protect the NHS is paramount. I think the NHS, um, it's certainly been privatised, and especially with the ageing population, we've got to make sure there's an NHS for the future.
0: Uh, the NHS, it's, it's very important in my view.
2: I would say NHS and specifically social care. Um, I have self-interest, I suppose, in terms of elderly relatives and um, seeing that things are becoming more and more difficult for the old in this country as well as the young.
3: Uh, COIN, National Security.
2: Crime is very important to me. I'm a social worker, and so you know, crime affects a lot of our young people that we work with. um, As do the services, for example, um, the NHS, social services, or social care. So it's really important to me to make sure that those services are protected. Um, Climate change, 100%, is something I'm really passionate about. But as a youth worker, I want to see more money going to schools, particularly in youth mental health. For me, it will probably be education. Um, Having a family myself, um, I want to make sure that there's enough teachers, there's enough funding and that um, our children in our future have enough knowledge and education to be able to work in England and abroad. I think like this, I work in education, so probably like the strain on schools maybe, like actually no I'd say like infrastructure, I think infrastructure in this country is just awful.
5: Um, probably tuition fees, I think it's a lot of money and
4: it would be nice not to have that debt hanging over a lot of young people.
2: I would say the economy, um, because so my main thing is, is property prices.
1: Taxes, NHS,
0: education, social security. Because of Brexit, everybody's focused and they want, like, Brexit to be done and then they can, like, you know, uh, work on it smoothly.
1: Is this a project that you would repeat?
6: Definitely. It was so interesting. You know, it, as, as it happens, our readers seem to have really engaged with it as well. It's obviously only 100 people, but you get the shape of what people are saying, the language they're using, you know, the, the insights that you get from, from really listening to people and also listening to people talk to each other was invaluable.
1: The one thing that was really struck me watching some of the videos and reading some of the brilliant pieces that the Times writers have produced is the language that normal people use is so far detached from the language of politics. Yes. The, the way that politicians speak about each other and about themselves and their policies which we then yes. are forced to repeat is so far removed. And actually, a, a 60-year-old voter from Burnley or whatever can sum up in one sentence yes. the entire problem with Jeremy Corbyn's <laughs> political strategy in a way that... You know, frankly, columnists in this build and take up a thousand words or whatever. Yeah, it's quite funny. Still to come, I speak to Oliver Wright and Ben McIntyre about what they found during the focus group sessions. We'll be back after this short break.
0: Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Ready to pop the question?
4: The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science. With beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments.
1: So, Ollie, just explain for us, how did it work on the day? How, What was the structure of it? How were people split
4: up? Because presumably trying to get trying 100 to people a hundred to have a conversation at once it's quite is quite difficult. That wouldn't work. They were split up into groups of about 11 or 12 people, and they talked in three sessions about different issues. So some of them talked about Brexit, some of them talked about the other policies that were going to interest them during the election. Some of them talked about what campaign messages they'd heard, what they thought of the leaders.
2: I think of someone who's a self-interested Bumbling buffoon,
1: empty promises, (laughs) and but I think he's strong as well and clever.
6: I think he's vile.
5: I think I think the man's a pig. Bumbling, (laughs) bumbling, mumbling. He can be a bit of an idiot sometimes, um,
2: but generally I trust him.
3: Charisma. He has got a charisma. He has got a personality. I think he's more intelligent than his public persona would portray, quite crafty.
0: Dishonesty, lying, bluster, buffoonery, elitist.
6: Yeah, like a bit of a buffoon, but in a kind of nice way. You could see yourself having a bit of a joke with
5: him if you was sticking in the
3: pub. His policies are far to
6: left, I believe.
2: Definitely seems like someone who's more for the people, more relatable, for sure.
6: I don't have any, any trust in him whatsoever. I think he's a bit sly and... Um,
5: don't think I could trust him.
2: I think his heart's in the right place. Um, I believe that he has been an activist for many years and I, th- I do think he takes his role seriously. Um, he doesn't have that authority that you would want from a leader. I would use the word self-interested again, but in a different way, I've, I, I think he's quite a
6: nasty individual. Do I like him more than Boris? Yes. Do I think he's more that sincere? Yes. Does it, do I think he's got more conviction in these policies? Yes. Um, I'm, I feel a little bit indifferent about him, really. I think he is a bit appears weak, um, perhaps a little bit past it. So I'm not convinced he's the person to deliver what the country want and lead the Labour Party.
4: And then we also had some specific groups to look at the battle for Labour's heartlands in the Midlands and the North. You know, can the Tories win that? What are the views of voters on the ground? And equally what's the picture in the south are these voters who used to vote conservative thinking about voting lib dem because they're in favor of remain or will they stick with the conservatives or stick with labor so we just wanted to get as big a bigger picture as we possibly could about the electorate and what they thought so ben what was your role in this sort of amateur really i mean <laughs> but the idea was that i think
3: i came in and sort of gave an impression of what what this whole exercise was about I mean it's a fascinating idea that you can you can get a hundred people and critically of course these are all also swing seats these are these are marginals so these really are in microcosm the people who will decide this election I mean that sounds like an exaggeration and of course it's not a science it's I mean Scientific principles are used to identify the right sort of people and to get to get the you know to try and get a representative sample and to mix them up by by race and gender and, and, and region and so on. But but in the end, it's really a, a, a sort of as it were a work of art. You're trying to get a sort of pointillist view of what the general feeling is in that in that sort of undecided in, undecided area. So I was hopping really from one session to another, trying to pick up sort of general feelings about about what was going on. And what did you pick
1: up working well, a, at the back of the room?
3: It's very interesting because there are uh, people are extremely angry. I think there is a sort of low level sort of uh, fury at work here, and a sort of a slightly cynical attitude towards politics. But it's combined with a kind of engagement level that is, in a way, quite contradictory. People people are sort of involved in this election. But they're also pretty, pretty narked about it. So you you get a sort of interesting sort of I mean look, that may be partly because of the selection. You are you are choosing people who have not decided, and therefore it was quite hard to find anybody who was vigorously pro-Corbyn or vigorously pro-Johnson one of the general feelings that I drew from it was there was a sort of plague on all your houses feeling going on here, um, that, you know, it's they're choosing the best of a bad lot. But that, again, may be because, of course, they are undecided, so so you weren't going to get the true believers. That said, people didn't arrive without opinions. I mean, <laughs> one of the great things was watching, watching... Really, I mean, although there were compares in each of the rooms, really these were complete strangers having political conversations with each other, having never had such a conversation, I suspect, ever in their lives. And what was so interesting about it was that although there is a kind of... There is a distress, I think, in the nation. It is a divided country at the moment. What was so interesting was the lack of acrimony. And there was... I mean, interesting. one of the subjects we were looking at was the centre ground. You know, what, what, what area there is there. And it seemed to me... Just listening to people speak, that there is a centre ground. There just isn't a candidate standing on it at the moment. There isn't anyone that that people can can latch onto. And interestingly, I thought neither Brexit. I mean, the Brexit Party really didn't register. I, I didn't hear a single person pop up and say that that was going to be that, that that they were going to head that way, or that that was a defining, or or that they were particularly angry about it. Interestingly too, Joe Swinson, who interestingly, people either referred to as Joe Swanson or Swinton, or in one case Swindon, um, <laughs> suggested to me that perhaps she hadn't really made a purchase on the electorate yet. That she hasn't really been picked up. It's not that she's disliked, it's that she's only semi-visible, I suspect. So, again, it's purely impressionistic, but from these 100 swing voters, it didn't seem to me that the Lib Dems are going to make a huge, a huge impact.
1: Okay, let's just look at some of the topics that you covered. In the Brexit session, because given that this is a Brexit election in some ways, well, that's certainly why Boris Johnson called it. What were the impressions and the messages you got, Ollie, from them talking
4: about Brexit? They see it as a Brexit election, um, but they're furious that it's a Brexit election. They don't want it to be about Brexit. Um, You've got this curious contradiction that certainly the voters that I was speaking to, um, they. They believe that Brexit has to be done, not because they think it's going to make them better off or that the country's going to be in a better shape, but just bring it to an end. But they're infuriated that they have to make that call. They want to talk about the NHS, they want to talk about crime, they want to talk about education. A lot of people volunteered stories about their local schools, the problems getting hospital appointments, incidents of crime in their areas that really bothered them. But throughout it all was this feeling, well, the politicians aren't going to address this until we've sorted Brexit. And they weren't particularly, you know, they weren't angry with one particular party over this. There wasn't a huge amount of Jeremy Corbyn's trying to block Brexit. They were just really fed up with politicians as a class.
3: This may be one of the very few elections in history that is probably going to be decided out of boredom and exhaustion. Almost every rumour, not just the ones where they were discussing Brexit, there was a kind of, we need to get this over and done with, we've had enough, just stop it. And that, interestingly, came from, Remainers as much as Leavers. I didn't hear anybody say, we need a second referendum, we need to go back to the drawing board, we need to start again. That's going to play pretty well for, for Johnson because, you know, the we'll get it done story, whether or not you like Johnson,
1: if you think that's what he's going to do... Whichever side of that debate you're on, you
3: you might be heading that way.
1: That's the bit of the Tory message which people forget: it's get Brexit done, and so then we can have more schools and hospitals. And all. it's the other bit which actually a lot of voters are hearing. That but it's a
3: pretty cynical campaign. Yeah, it's yeah. a pretty cynical campaign that is. We we'll, you know we'll we'll play on people's absolute kind of fed upness of three years of of talking and we'll just we'll just use that to our advantage
4: they buy the first part of boris johnson's message they do think he'll get it done they don't buy the second part they don't think there are any sunny uplands um the one other thing that i mean again it may not be representative but it struck me and it struck me as a change from a focus group which i did four or five months ago in stoke was at the end we said to people Okay, you don't want a second referendum, there's no enthusiasm for a second referendum. If there was a second referendum, uh, how would you vote, and how would that compare to how you voted in 2016? Put that to people, there were no Remainers at that point who would vote Leave, but there were several Leavers in all three groups who then said they would vote Remain. Now, I don't think they were voting Remain because they wanted to remain in the EU, but again, it's that sense of, we want it to stop, and perhaps if you did have a second referendum, people would think, oh, for goodness sake, let's just stay
1: and what does that tell us about our politics because you've got a campaign ben where jeremy corbyn is talking about the nhs being for sale and privatizing the nhs and actually people are hearing that means i've got to pay to go to see the gp Mm. or go to a&e that's not even what jeremy corbyn is talking about even if the thing that he's talking about may or may not be true as well Mm. there's sort of so many levels that people actually have to pick to to try to work out what's really happening
3: i think it's two things i think it's a hunger for substantive information that actually people when they hear something that is beyond the soundbite and the and the political attack ad and the and the talk show and the and the and the Twitter hit actually when it's, when they hear something explained they really do like expertise and, the, and people are a lot cleverer than politicians give them credit for. They are quite capable of understanding this sort of subject and, and somehow I sensed in the room a sort of almost a sort of sigh of relief when they were hearing this. It's, they were being addressed as adults and they weren't being treated mm-hmm. as if they were just sort of a herd. And I also think it's a reaction against the idea that news is all wrong that it's all fake, that we're being lied to all the time which has gone obviously very deep I mean, I think a lot of people... I, I got the sense, I don't know if you agree with this, Ollie, mm. that people were very, very jaundiced about the media. They're all lying to us. Mm. We can't trust any of them. So, therefore, when you get, some, get 100 people in a room with two genuine experts who are not trying to lie to you, not trying to spin anything, they're not trying to publish anything, not trying to get your vote, <laughs> they just trying to tell you the way it is, that I, I just sense there was a huge relief in the room. It was very
4: interesting. Yeah. One, one person said to me, he said, uh, so the real problem with all this is, that, you know, I used to be able to believe things, but now everything I read... I have to go and fact check and google and everything and they were just depressed about that they wanted to be able to believe the things that people told them and they didn't feel they could and what about our involvement in this the media's about the times involvement was
1: there a sense that of course they
3: believe the time of course they do <laughs> <I go without laughs> yeah
1: how can the conventional traditional media if you like like the times or the bbc or whatever respond to that what 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 is it that we could be doing differently do you think
3: more people talking to each other works really well not us standing on high lecturing and or or indeed particularly the politicians you know kind of finger wagging and telling people what to think and what to do i think i think the more we can just lay out the 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 facts and make them demonstrably
1: accurate the 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 more response we'll get and ollie we see that actually the reporting it's hard to do it in print but online the stories that the pieces and the analysis that you and i write Mm -hmm. that do very well are the ones you've done a lot of explaining what is in the manifestos of various parties what are different parties doing on an issue Mm -hmm. rather than a sort of more traditional
4: straightforward sort of page lead story of boris johnson said something yesterday and labour said it was a load of nonsense i think that's absolutely right but if you think about it you know, four years ago, no one in this country had really any idea what a customs union was, how trade worked, um, didn't have much idea about happier times. Happier <laughs> times <laughs> and these are kind of complex issues and they're complex issues for everyone. They're complex issues for you know, people like us that have to try and write about it and try and explain it. And I think that that is right. What people want is they want you to try and tell them what you know, but equally important what you don't know, and I think it's you can, you can write analysis, question and answer sessions, and I think the critical thing that we should be doing is saying, well, actually you know, we don't know the answer to that, and I think people will respect what we write more if, we, if we're honest about that. And we can't
3: predict the future, mm. we're, not, that's, we're not soothsayers, we're, 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 we're yeah. reporters and we're, we're analysts, but we're not going to tell you what's going to happen and I think that's another thing we've learned over the last mm. three years, you know, the unexpected we should expect it I mean, talking of difficult issues, what I said at the beginning that, that, you know, there wasn't much acrimony. The one exception to that, I would say, was over race. It seemed to me that that was one of the things that really lit the fires a bit at this at this particular session. And it was particularly focused on both the leaders. When the subject of Boris Johnson's articles um, comparing women in burqas to letterbox came up, that, that, that evoked real anger. And in the same way, it seemed to me that the anti-Semitism row surrounding surrounding the Labour Party has got much more purchase than I was expecting. I mean, you you might think that that is a sort of metropolitan argument that only would affect you know people inside the beltway, as it were. Not true, I think. I mean, there were people who who genuinely have taken that on as as a major issue for the Labour Party, and I think both sides need to need to be properly aware that mm-hmm. that's that's a bubbling issue.
4: And I think that also, in a weird way, plays into Brexit. I think there is a concern amongst people that Britain is a more of a racist country after Brexit, and they don't like that. There was this concern that somehow Britain was a nastier place as a result of Brexit and they didn't feel that's what they thought of Britain. That was quite interesting. So given that we're not making predictions anymore
1: (laughs) what (laughs) do you think (laughs) is going to happen in the general election based on did you come across anything which changed your perception of how the campaign is playing out or what do you think the final outcome will be?
3: I just got the impression that the let's get it done story was one that ran like kind of veins through marble through the whole day it was it was something that popped up in every session and it was just we've had enough we've had enough
4: yeah i i agree with ben i would caveat it slightly with they do want it done but they're not that keen on boris and i don't know the extent to which get it done necessarily translates into votes for all all those people who want it done That was Oliver Wright and Ben McIntyre. Don't forget to subscribe
1: to the podcast. You don't miss any of the extra episodes that we're doing over the election. And if you want to come to that special Times panel debate the morning after the election on Friday, the 13th of December, it's at 8.30 at the News Building in London Bridge. Just go to mytimesplus.co.uk for tickets. And if you're in the mood for buying tickets, why not buy everyone your family tickets to my stand-up show at the Bloomsbury Theatre on January the 25th? Just go to the Bloomsbury Theatre website. But for now, my thanks to all my guests. From me, Matt Jolly, it's
5: goodbye.
0: Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right.